97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Annie Fry Show is brought to you by Ruler Foods. Low prices, no coupons. Ruler Foods. That is exactly what I needed to hear. Thank God someone here knows what they're talking about. That's us. That's right. Gotta love this American ride. All right, you need to take the time and get the full picture. I love the ladies. I mean, they rev my engine, but they don't belong in the newsroom. It is Anchor Man, not Anchor Lady. What do you want from me? I'm not a Mary the Sweetheart. Goodness sake, Keith. Keep your voice down. Your father's listening to the radio. I'm not Mary the Sweetheart. This is the Annie Fry Show. Look, politics is perception, but the cost of living issue is real. And we did take low inflation for granted for a long time. You know, you don't hear a lot from the MMT crowd on the far left that said, oh, none of this matters. You could keep spending all the money you want. It does have an impact. That said, Biden's got a good story to tell about the economy. It is objectively true that our country is better off economically than we were certainly three years ago. And it's not just because of the pandemic. I mean, you know, we've had 14 million jobs grown. We've, you know, right. we've got wages outpacing inflation. Inflation is going down. Unemployment rate is under 4%. Main Street is actually doing well compared to, 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 to Wall Street. And we've got manufacturing well, coming back. And a lot of big bipartisan bills are starting to take effect, including uh, the infrastructure bill and the CHIPS Act. Those are good stories to tell. Democrats and Biden aren't telling them well. So CNN's John Avalon says that we are in a better economic position right now than we were three years ago. I hear I hear people reporting on numbers and saying that our economy looks very strong. And then you go to Main Street and people aren't feeling it there. So can two things be true at the same time? Well, we ask our economic expert, Steve Moore, who joins us now, distinguished fellow at, in economics at the Heritage Foundation, author of Govzilla, How the Relentless Growth of Government is Devouring Our Economy and Our Freedom. Steve, welcome back to the show. It's good to have you back. Hey, Annie, good to be with you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. Can, can both those things be true at the same time? The economy is doing great, but Main Street isn't feeling it. Well, um, let's see. The first part of that is not true. I mean, the economy isn't doing great. It's, it's doing better, no question about it. I mean, remember this time last year, the economy was in a free fall, and we had, you know, Biden had somehow made, uh, moved inflation from 1.5% under Trump to 9.2%, which was, you know, criminal negligence when it came to the economy. Uh, and by the way, the effects of that inflation are still being felt. I don't know about you, but I feel every time we go to the grocery store, pump up our gas. I mean, those the inflation rate is down, but those price, higher prices now are, are baked into the cake. And so it's a continuing cost. The average middle class family has lost about $2,500 in income. So it's laughable to say that they're better off than when Trump was president. They're not. They're much uh, worse off. Um, I'm hoping the inflation rate stays low. And I think uh, it may, you know, maybe the worst of that is over. But, you know, when you're when you're losing money, like the American families have, it's no wonder that people on Main Street are angry. So Steve Moore joining us right now, I think about the economic position that we're in right now with improvement ahead of us. But I can't help think about the future. You know, we've got an election coming up. We're going to have uh, either the current administration that wins re-election or maybe a Republican that, that ends up winning, likely Donald Trump, mm -hmm. that is going to have to face the cost of rampant immigration across our southern border, war that we are looking at on multiple fronts right now, and debt that is just out of control. How mm -hmm. do those big 
economic factors fit into what happens next with this country? Well, all those, all three of those factors that you mentioned are at the forefront of Americans' minds right now and concerns. And every poll shows that. You know, uh, if you look at every poll over the last two years, you know, they haven't changed much at all. Slight improvement, but not much. Seventy percent of Americans say the economy's headed in the wrong direction. And at the same time, you've got a situation where, you know, the same percent say that their personal finances are worse off than before. So it's almost insulting for the people at CNN who are stuck in the bubble of New York uh, or uh, Washington, D.C. to to tell Main Street America you have it so good because they don't. Um, And so, you know, when it comes to these problems that you just mentioned, though, you know, I just met I met on Friday for about a half hour with President Trump at Mar-a-Lago, and we talked a lot about the economic issues. And, you know, he can turn these things around quickly. I mean, we can get the border control. You know, when Trump is in office, I think give him three months and we'll get that border under control. Uh, You know, the inflation problem has to do with, uh, you know, too much government spending and we need some spending restraint. Uh, You know, some of these other issues, uh, you know, like the low growth of the economy, I think Trump being a businessman can do what he did before when he was in office from 2017 to 2020. He can really rev up the economy and be pro-business and reduce taxes and reduce regulation and, uh, you know, better trade deals, all those things. You know, the thing about Trump is even people who don't like Trump have to admit that his policies were substantially better than the policies of this president. Yeah. You know, and I've heard the first Bidenomics was thrown out there as kind of a pejorative towards the economic situation that the Biden administration has put, put us in. The Biden politicos decided to take it up and try to make it a good thing. It seems yeah. as though they're letting go of that a little bit, maybe a little bit yeah. less Bidenomics. And now they're attacking Magnomics. Can you compare those two? Well, you know, Bidenomics is the catastrophe we've seen in the economy over the last uh, three years. It's been three years now Biden's been in office. And I mean, look, if you like these policies, if you like the direction of the country, you should vote for Biden. You know, uh, If you don't, you know, we don't agree with me that we need some pretty radical change and that we can't go on borrowing two trillion dollars a year. Then, you know, it looks right now it's looking like Trump will be the nominee. It's not a sure thing, but boy, he's looking strong in the polls. And so um, it's really a choice of, you know, I, what I told Trump is you've got to just look those the American people in the eye and ask them the question that Ronald Reagan asked uh, back in 1980 when he was running against Jimmy Carter. Are you better off today than you were four years ago? Mm-hmm. And every American's going to have to make that uh, their own decision on that. But, um, boy, most people I know don't think they're better off than four years ago. Yeah. A, a lot of people making those comparisons right now between those two administrations, but we didn't get a chance to discuss the Newsom-DeSantis debate yet. And I wanted to ask yeah. you if you thought that the Florida case was made, because certainly with their feet, people are moving into Florida and out of California. Do you think that in that debate, the case was made that the blue state economic policies are not as good as the red state? Oh, I don't. It, that was a slam dunk, right? I mean, it would be hard for DeSantis to lose that argument because he's got every argument in his favor, and he did an amazing job of presenting the facts. And you know, that was a couple of weeks ago now. But I mean, it was the funny thing about that debate. And you know, Gavin Newsom is a slick guy. You know, he's a politician. He knows how to evade a punch and so on. But you know, how many times did uh, did Sean Hannity have to ask him? You know, things are going so well. California, why are people leaving? I mean, you must ask them that four times. It was the first question he asked them. And I, I don't know if you watched the whole debate. I, I watched did. most of it. I don't think he ever answered that question. No. And at, at the end, too, I noticed that as the debate progressed, 
Gavin Newsom got more personal in his attacks to Ron DeSantis. Yeah, that was really low. Indicated to me that he was losing. Yeah, yeah. I I thought that was really low. And, you know, I didn't like the personal attacks on either side. And, you know, I thought that, that, uh, you know, um, that the governor DeSantis probably interrupted, um, you know, Governor Newsom a little too often. And the the personal attacks were low, you know, and that, you know, like, oh, you're losing in the polls. So therefore you're not your arguments aren't accurate. You know, he is. uh, been a great governor, uh, really one of the, I call him America's governor, Ron DeSantis, and I'm a Trump guy, you know, yeah. I, but if I, my second choice, if it couldn't be Trump, would certainly be Ron DeSantis. And, uh, you know, the, now the thing that was really amazing about uh, Governor Newsom, and well, the reason people should pay attention to this is because I think there's a decent chance that Gavin Newsom will be the Democratic nominee in 2024 when they dump Biden, uh, is he is, I don't know about you, he's a slick liar. I mean, he, he could probably pass a polygraph test. Yeah. If you believe what you're selling enough, I think that you could. Maybe, I guess. I mean, he was just every almost every other line out of his mouth was a lie. Oh, we've reduced. He said at one point more people are leaving, you know, uh, Florida for California than California for Florida, which is just demonstrably false. And then he said, oh, your crime rate is worse. Remember, he said your your murder rate is worse than uh, Florida than California. Wrong, wrong, wrong. I mean, almost, almost every declaration that he made on the comparison between Florida and California was wrong. And that's because all of the statistics point in the, you know, heavily in the direction uh, of Florida. And so, you know, if you want America to look more like California, and I don't know if you've been to San Francisco lately, that was about six months ago. It's, it's disgusting. It's, it's this used to be one of our three or four greatest cities and it's been destroyed by, I mean, there literally is feces all over the place. And the poop chart was true. You know, it's smelly, it's unsafe. It's running big deficits. Uh, you can't you can't feel comfortable in San Francisco anymore. And I used to love to visit that city. Yeah, and it could be fixed. They just need to have better policies. Last, exactly. Last question, Steve, before we let you go, because you said yeah. you said a sentence here that I don't want to get lost in this conversation because I think it's so important. Because I love Ron DeSantis. I was I, I went to Florida like three days uh-huh. when he opened it up. My husband and I that week yeah. said, "Let's go to Florida. We can't take this because I live in Illinois." And so we piled in the car and we just drove to Florida and made it up as we went. And ever since then, I was so grateful for Ron DeSantis. Yeah. I have no ill will towards Donald Trump either. I question if he can actually win the general, but yeah. I want yeah, him I to win. How, yeah. do, how do we look at these two men, uh, throw Nikki Haley in there too, if you want. I would assume that the economic policies are pretty congruent among yeah. those I do too. three yeah. nominees. How do we get the Republicans to come together to support mm-hmm. whoever wins that nomination? Boy, I wish I knew the answer to that question. I mean, I think that uh, you know, that will be the challenge for Trump if he holds on to this massive lead that he has right now is bringing all the, uh, the voters and, you know, for DeSantis and all the voters for Nikki Haley and others together and to bring them. You know, there are a lot of Republicans who still say, well, I won't vote for Donald Trump. And some independents won't say I won't for Donald Trump. And he has to make the case to them again, because, you know, if you judge Trump by his, you know, his actions and his policies, you know, he's. I mean, I think everybody would agree, he, you know, he was far superior to Biden. But, you know, his behavior drives people crazy sometimes. And I say that as a friend of his, you know. Mm-hmm. And so if he can tone it down, I think, uh, you know, I think he can, he can win. I mean, the polls do show Trump leading Biden in all six of the battleground yeah. states right now. So that's a good indication that people are willing to give him 
a second chance. Yeah, people need to be able to think more broadly about who the actual enemy or opponent is, I should say here. Exactly. Uh, and stay within the party and, and get the Biden administration. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I had a piece today in the New York Post that Biden's policy now that came out just a week ago is to dismantle. Did you see this? He wants to kill every coal plant in the United States and he wants to kill our natural gas. That's 60 percent of electricity. At the same time, he wants to put the whole transportation system on the electric grid. I mean, we're going to have blackouts and brownouts all over the country. We're going to look like California. They've you know, they have blackouts and brown. They have to they have to ration electricity there. Yeah, it's absurd. Steve, we appreciate you every okay. time you come on with us. Merry Christmas to you and thanks for being with you us. You too. Again. Take right. care. You as well. Bye bye. He is the distinguished fellow in economics at Heritage Foundation, Steve Moore. His book, uh, Govzilla, How the Relentless Growth of Government is Devouring Our Economy and Our Freedom. What a great Christmas gift for after everything is done. You just sit by the fire and you open up the book Govzilla and you just take in the merriment of trying to fix our country. <laughs> I recommend it. I mean, it really is the it really is the biggest problem that we're facing economically is that the people who make the legislation that spend your tax dollars it's like they have no restrictions on what they can spend their money on. If we had our economic house in order, everything else falls in line. Steve Moore, great to have him on the show. A good conversation there and incredibly important. He said he's a Trump guy, but he, Ron DeSantis is a second choice. For everybody out there who's listening right now, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, Nikki Haley would all be so much better for this. I mean, like so drastically night and day difference from what we're dealing with right now. I The the, the uh, tribalism that exists in the Republican Party. OK, it's a primary. I get it. You're going all out for your guy, your girl. Get it together after the nomination, please. I beg of you. I'm praying for that to be the cause. Let's take a quick break. We're going to be joined by State Representative Brad Halbrook when we come back. He is the representative from the 107th District in Illinois, and I'm going to be visiting him tonight at his Christmas party. I'm going to be speaking uh, in Mount Zion, Illinois. I'm going to get in the car with Brad because he's going to accompany me because I needed someone to drive two hours with me up north, and uh, we're going to have a Christmas party with the people of the 107th district, but I want to talk to him before uh, we do that tonight. Did you hear that report about the home alone checkout process that, that uh, little Macaulay Culkin goes through and spends, I think it's $19.83 to buy all that stuff he gets when he's a gr- at the grocery store. Do you know how much it costs today? Did you know that that was taken in Illinois? Did you know that the home alone family is from Illinois? Gosh, it sucks, but we're trying to make it better. And Brad Halbrook is absolutely one of those individuals who's doing that. He joins Danny Fry Show when we come back. The iconic grocery trip from the movie Home Alone barely cost 20 bucks in 1990. But Fox Business calculated how much those items would cost today, and it hurts more than Kevin's aftershave. <laughs> Kelly Saberi live in Winneka, Illinois, north of Chicago, with more on that. Kelly, what you find out? Well, the Army figurines are no longer sold at the supermarket, so adding about $5 for those, our total came out to about $65, whereas Kevin spent just under $20. Wow. Bill? Time, times change. $65, up from $19.83. Makes me want to do the Home Alone hands on my face thing and scream, but I'll spare you that uh, right now. Of course, inflation is out of control, but then you add Illinois into the factor, and then you know prices are just going sky high everywhere. Let's bring our next guest onto the show here, State Representative Brad Halbrook, representing Illinois' 107th District. Thanks for being here with us, uh, Mr. Halbrook. It's good to have you back. 
Well, thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Now, I'm looking forward to coming and joining you this evening at your Christmas party to celebrate with people uh, the holiday season with you and, and the 107th District. But I do know that when Illinois politics are discussed, especially here where we are in the Metro East, where you've got Missouri as a red state just a few miles away, and that's the case around the border of the state of Illinois, that Illinois has some work to do and I think that this clip here, 65 bucks, that's an, an enormous increase. Illinoisans across the state are feeling it. Right. Well, the General Assembly uh, with the majority party in control just seems to continue to shoot themselves in the foot. No, no pun intended. But we're an island. Uh, you know, we're surrounded by states that have better policy that are doing much better than the state of Illinois. And, um, you know, we see these migration numbers in and out and the neighboring states and other states across the nation are, are, are way more successful with the in-migration than Illinois is. Um, I guess the good news is minimum wage goes up in Illinois now another dollar the first of January. And so I think our base minimum wage will be $15 uh, for non-tip workers in Illinois come uh, January 1st. Man, uh, you know, when I am talking to people uh, here in this area where we live in a bi-state region, people are always asking me, Annie, why don't you live in Missouri? And my response is always that Illinois is my home. My family is there. My roots are there. And that matters to me. But for the people who don't have those deep roots, the option to move out is certainly a strong one. What are you doing as a state representative in a super minority of Republicans? So your, your ability to actually affect change right now is incredibly limited what, what's your state of mind in the legislature, in the state of Illinois, to try to advocate for conservative ideals and make Illinois a better state to live in for people? Well, that's a great question. And I think probably one of the strongest things, most uh, hopefully the most effective, and hopefully it has uh, more effect as it, as it builds out, is just communication. You know, doing radio like with you and other and using all different forms of media outlets, uh, the Internet. Uh, live streams, trying to do town halls. You know, we're calling out and pushing back on the governor and the majority policy, uh, majority party's bad policy. You know, the the, the gun ban and registry that's in, in going into effect, this, that's going on. Governor Pritzker just gave away $536 million of taxpayer money to a Chinese communist uh, Goshen battery uh, plant yeah. in Kankakee County. Um, the Solantis UAW deal, we still don't have the details of how many tax dollars went into that thing yet. And so it's just stuff like this that we try to call out the bad policy. You know, we went to the bat uh, for minor children and young females with the situation in Springfield at the YMCA this summer. That was uh, the policy of the YMCA was to allow intact biological males in the private changing spaces of uh, minor females. And we call that out. Uh, And again, it's just bizarre that the day in which we live that uh, there are elected officials in this state think that's quite okay and that the young women are the ones at fault and need to change their mindset. That's just wrong. It is. It's absolutely wrong. We're speaking with State Representative Brad Halbrook. website is rephalbrook.com. He is of Illinois' 107th District. Um, I'm, I, it's, if I read a news story about the direction of politics in the state of Illinois, I'm trying to think of a single instance where – Something was progressed that I go, yes, that's it. Thank you for doing that. Because J.B. Pritzker has taken this state as far aggressively to the left 
on every issue that he can possibly do. And in the state legislature, in the, if you've got a House that is a supermajority of Democrats and a state Senate that's a supermajority of Democrats, he pretty much gets his every whim. What does 2024 look like in your mind to limit some of the unfettered access to power that the Illinois Democrats currently have? Well, it's going to be very difficult to pick up very many seats in either chamber in Illinois. You know, this is the third map that's been controlled by Democrats, and it's very difficult. They've got them gerrymandered, really, really lopsided. Uh, hopefully, that folks will uh, kind of realize what's going on locally, start to implement some changes locally. Hopefully, uh, folks that can in the suburbs where they do have a choice will make the right choice come 2024. But, you know, we see a governor that's trying out for the Democrat nomination for president, you know, the the uh, National Convention will be in Chicago this coming summer, and he's trying out for that nomination. These far-left policies are nothing more than that. Uh, they're they're just, uh, it's not good policy to move America forward, let alone Illinois forward, but yet that's what we're bearing the brunt of right now. Representative Halbrook, you brought up the, the gun registration, and it seems as though Illinoisans across the state haven't participated in there quite like I, I suppose the Democrats were anticipating what is the state of Second Amendment rights in Illinois right now under J.B. Pritzker and the supermajority of Democrats in the Assembly? Well, the short answer is the Second Amendment is under attack and has been, but it's on full attack right now. You know, these cases, uh, have a couple of cases have made it all the way up and, and they're on the docket at the U.S. Supreme Court. So we're optimistic about hopefully movement there. But, you know, we're three weeks from the full implementation of the gun registry here in the state of Illinois, and I don't know the exact numbers, but it's about a quarter of 1% of law-abiding gun owners have registered either firearms or, or parts or ammo. And so, you know, I think it was about a month ago, the governor said, well, you know, it's maybe do they expect that not everybody uh, owns these firearms that are listed here to some extent like that. It's like, well, wait a minute, no, you guys expected everybody, I think, to be in full compliance. Um, you know, it's just a countdown to confiscation. I, I think that's really the, the the headline. It's just a countdown to confiscation here in the state of Illinois. And I think that's their goal. Uh, it's not about public safety. Crime's on the increase in Chicago uh, and the surrounding area. Uh, the 2.4 million law-abiding FOID card holders uh, in the state of Illinois, they're not the ones committing these crimes. But yet the governor wants to make them out to be, and the majority party wants to make them out to be, as they're the there's the bad seeds and all of this. Yeah, it's absurd. State Representative Brad Halbrook with us, rephalbrook.com, if you want to learn more about what he's doing in his district. Uh, one of the strong Republicans that we do have in the General Assembly. Uh, before we let you go, I want you to, if you can, highlight any issue, any one issue. Is there one that ties Republicans across the state, from Chicago down to south to Metro East, um, over to the, I say Metro East, uh, right here where we are right now. Is there an issue that brings Republicans of all kinds together in the state of Illinois? Yeah, I think, number one, it, it should be the life issue. And I think we have done a pretty good job uh, being united on life. Uh, the other concern, I hope, would be the matter of the illegal immigration. Now, I don't know if all Republicans share the same view as I and the Illinois Freedom Caucus does and some other members of the General Assembly, but this immigration issue, if the drug trafficking, if the sex trafficking isn't enough to scare you to death, I mean, it's just putting so much pressure on the infrastructure in the city. Um, it's putting pressure on the budget. That ought to be a unifying factor. 
and hopefully all Republicans can get around and, and unite with this uh, all-out attack on the Second Amendment. Our First Amendment rights are under attack with this matter of, of calling um, deceptive practice in the, in the pro-life pregnancy resource centers. I think that's, again, that's back to a life issue. But I think there's issues there that we do all unite and we should be united on. Um, but there's many more that we seem to not find common ground on. And I think that's a shame. Hopefully we'll can continue to work on that as we go into the spring session. Well, I am looking forward to coming to see you. We are going to jump in the car as soon as the show is over and then head the couple hours to come see you at Mount Zion. And I'm looking forward to a great evening. And thank you for being here. And thank you for having us tonight. We appreciate you. Uh, you're welcome. And we're looking forward to it. And it's a, it's a great day. The weather's great. It's going to be a nice drive for you. So, uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you. All thank right. you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. State Representative Brad Halbrook, the Illinois District 107. Like when you think, Brian, of the issues that it is very difficult to find a unifying issue in Illinois. Big state. Are we the fifth largest state? Uh, We have been. I don't know if we currently are, but right around. We were like dancing back and forth with Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, But we have a we have a huge state and it doesn't really feel like the economy would be that gigantic if you're a downstater. But Chicago is massive. It's the third largest city. In the nation, and we should be a powerhouse in the middle of the country. Every business should stop through Illinois. And we just can't get out of our own way when we vote. And the Democrats, it's one thing to be a maybe a left of center state on the whole. But when the Democrats have been able to manipulate the maps the way that they have, they were challenged in court. The Democrats won shockingly, <laughs> in the, the Illinois uh, Supreme Court, and, and I think that went to the Illinois Supreme Court. And so the, this, the, the hill that we have to climb is so incredibly steep. But I ask myself, probably more often than I even should, what is the unifying issue for a voter in Illinois? What is the one thing that if, you, if you're watching someone go in to vote in a ballot box, what's the one thing that everybody's thinking about? I don't. He says it's life. I guarantee you that's one of the main things in his district. And the majority of the square footage, square mileage of the state of Illinois, I don't think it is for Chicago, and that matters. I don't know what, I don't know what the main issue is. Yeah, I was very interested to hear him say life. I, I do think that could be a winning issue for Republicans. Like he talked about, you got to win the mes- messaging war because one of the things that they're having trouble doing is that very thing. Uh, nationally and in Illinois on that issue. But when you talk about a state like Illinois that is so extreme on abortion right up until birth, I mean, that is an issue that when you talk to people directly and say, do you think that should be happening up until birth? The vast majority of people, regardless of party affiliation, will say, no, I, I don't think that. And so if they can at least convince people that, look, there has to be a spot where you think it's wrong that the majority of us agree about and maybe that's it if that's what they think it is more power to them i'm i question whether republicans should speak on the issue of life at all in this next election you asked what is the big issue that i think that people go into the voters booth thinking about this may not be that answer, that exact answer, because it's so broad. But I, I get the sense that everybody in Illinois questions what the future is. 
There are states to me that you look around the country and you go, man, that state's growing. There's a lot of activity going on. And it's not just Republican states. I mean, Colorado is one of those states. People are going, oh, man, there's a lot going on in Colorado. There's a lot going on in Tennessee, you know, these states. In Illinois, it's just, what, what are you offering? And I don't know how that translates into policy, but I do get the sense that no matter which side of the aisle you're on, you're asking that question going, is this a state that has the future? Is this where the cutting edge of things are happening? I think the answer is no. And everybody can feel that. And how do you translate that into votes? But I don't think that's the case in so much as what you're saying, like what are, what things are happening here. That's not what the left is. That's not their target. That's not their goal. See, I, this is the test kitchen for the most aggressive far left progressive policies that exist because they can test them out in, in Illinois and nobody cares because it's flyover country. If if California does it, then the big networks pick it up, the big cable news channels pick it up and rant and rave about it or celebrate it till the cows come home. If you were looking at, if you were looking for a progressive state on 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 abortion, Illinois. If you were looking for a progressive state when it comes to sanctuary status, Illinois. If you were looking for a progressive state when it comes to limiting parental rights in the uh, vein of gender-affirming care, Illinois. If you were looking for a state that talks about redistribution of wealth for the benefit of approved categories of people based on a supermajority of Democrats that are in charge, Illinois. It's happening here. I, I don't, I, I God, ugh, Lord, please prove uh, me to be right in this statement because I'd hate to see what would happen if I were wrong. I don't know how abortion could become more heinous and accessible in Illinois than it already is. I don't feel like abortion, I mean, the status, if, if Republicans, Republicans would have to take the majority or the governor's seat in order to flip the abortion issue in the state of Illinois. If Republicans pick off two or three seats in the House, which I don't even think would get them out of the supermajority, minority, excuse me. Abortion isn't going to change in the state of Illinois. And for the people that are repelled, uh, repelled by the topic of abortion, looking as though it's the front and center issue for the GOP on a ballot, if that repels people from coming your way, then it shouldn't be the issue that we're talking about because the battleground is pre-politics. The battleground on that issue is what you're going to do about it right now. If you are sitting here saying... Annie, how dare you say that we shelf the issue of abortion when it comes to politics? You're not hearing me straight. Instead of saying that I should be better on my political stance on abortion, I want to ask you, what are you doing to sit down with a woman who has an unplanned or unwanted pregnancy today to help empower her to choose life? We have to stop side seat driving this issue in particular as if the only time that it is the be all end all is at the ballot box on an election day. And then we piss and moan about it for the next two years or four years 
about how terrible it is. We have to be advocates and activists. And I'm not talking in the political sense. I'm talking in the super quiet, nobody knows I'm doing anything about it. Show up and donate diapers. Show up and deliver a car seat. I shared something from the Mosaic Pregnancy Health Center uh, a couple weeks back. They needed eight or nine new car seats because eight or nine women chose life. And those women need car seats that are going to keep those precious lives safe. And I shared it, and you guys started donating car seats. Those are the simple things that change people's opinions on these types of issues. That it, 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 they, the, the left wants the Republican Party to continue to squarely pinpoint focus on abortion at the ballot box. Because that's the best chance that the Democrats have on continuing to win on that issue. You change the culture, then the left loses. And you change the culture one woman at a time who births a baby that they just decided to choose. I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm going to have this baby. And then that baby understands when they grow up that their mom chose to give them life. And there's a story behind why those mothers choose life. And you can be a part of that story. And none of that has to do with anything that goes at the ballot box. I mean, I I'm I do try to be an activist when it comes to pro-life things, but I need to be even better at it. I'll start with me. And I hope that y'all will join me on it. Because the state of Illinois has gotten where it is right now. It's just a, a, a democratic hellhole on every policy that exists. Is there, a, is there a reason? How would you advocate to a conservative friend? You should come to Illinois. Hey, downstate's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> but I we mean, live in we, I mean, chosen ignorance as yeah. to what's going on in the north. It it, it is hard uh, politically to convince a conservative to come to Illinois because they know uh, they know all the things that we're talking about. They don't know them like California because, like you said, people can do things a little bit more secretively here and they don't get as much attention. But they know, and so <clears throat> you know there are parts of Illinois that good things are happening. Uh, I like to think that the Metro East is one of those places because I live there and I see good things happening. But that's all on a personal level. There's there's nothing really at the state level that I see that I'm like, hey, this is great. Yeah, the the, the advocacy is it's really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> if that, <laughs> it's very very flat. If you like farmland. I'm intimidated by rolling landscapes. Oh, I love them. Oh, I love them, but they scare me. Because I'm you grew up start in flatland. Yes, I can I can see what's coming. Literally miles away. Yeah. You go into Kentucky and you're like, what's on the other side of the mountain? I don't know. The mountain. Mm -hmm. So just a big hill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about the YouTube live chat poll. We'll touch on it. We need to know what you think. Should Alex Jones be permitted on platforms like Twitter, X? You have three options. Yes, no, or who's Alex Jones? Mark said Alex Jones has every right to be on Twitter X, just like allowing Cori Bush, AOC, etc. Joe says, yes, absolutely. The idea of free speech is important to protect. I'm surprised that 37% had voted no. We'll see if that continues to be the case. Chris says, yes, I don't think him or anyone should be removed. People have the choice of following him or not. And TJ said, should Alex Jones be allowed on social media? Sure. Will I also ignore him on every platform? Also, yes. <laughs> Let us know what you think on the Annie Fry YouTube channel. Uh, We are here for your free speech. Go vote on the poll. We'll keep reading your comments when we come back. Welcome back to the Annie Fry Show. We're grateful that you are here right now. Freedom, uh, Alex Jones. That was Alex Jones singing there from Twitter, actually. Yeah. Just clip that right now. He's back. That's how he's letting everybody know. Has anybody read any or watched anything that he's posted? No, I haven't. Mm -mm. No. 
what, Leah, have you taken in any Alex Jones Twitter? Any no. big hot content? Nope. I tried to watch the Tucker Alex Jones interview. Alex Jones has the worst vocal fry in the history of vocal fry. <laughs> That's not what I would have thought of, but now that you do say you know that, what I'm saying? Though? I think so. It sounds. I mean, it's, he maybe has like a vocal injury. He sounds like he's growling when he's talking. Yeah, I couldn't get over it. Sometimes I'm like, nope, just push through and get through it because I want to hear it. I probably will make more attempts to w- listen to it, but I, um, I couldn't. I was so distracted by it that I wasn't even listening to what he was saying. <laughs> uh, the YouTube live chat poll for today, and if you have never voted in this before, this is how you this is how you do it. You have to go to YouTube. This is where the YouTube live chat poll is. That's why we are very specific in what we name it every day. The Annie Fry YouTube channel. Every day on YouTube, we broadcast live. You go to the YouTube live and for today, and then in the live chat portion, you'll see that there's a poll at the top, and then you just get to vote. However you choose, today's question is, should Alex Jones be permitted on platforms like Twitter or X? Yes, no, or who's Alex Jones? I'm very curious to see how high the who's Alex Jones percentage is in our audience. Yeah, me too. What's your thought on this? Um, I think there's no doubt that he should be permitted on social media platforms. It's one of those you know, free speech issues if he's not calling for genocide. Uh, you know, this is a free speech issue. If you disagree with him, then so be it. You have to protect the speech of people you disagree with. Otherwise, it's not free speech. Uh, I, I have a lot of thoughts on the things he's said, but in particular to this question, should he be on platforms? The answer is yes. I I just I, I think the answer is yes. And I think the best way to make sure that he fa- falls into obscurity is to allow him to talk and say whatever he's going to say. I don't. I don't buy into the lie that if you let him talk, people are just going to believe everything that he says. That's true for any segment of the pop. There's always a segment of the population that will do that. But man, when you when you silence somebody like him, all you do is make people go seek him out. Just let him talk, and then people go, "He said what? Nah, I'm done with this guy." And that that to me is the best way to let him fade into obscurity. Is just let him talk and prove himself to be what everybody says that he is. I don't. Um, you have to ask yourself. What is the danger in his speech being consumed by other Americans out there? What is the danger? And when I look at what the left is aggressively pushing on social media right now, it's pretty dangerous. And I'm not screaming for them to get blocked. I'm a yes. And much like the commenter we had before, I'm not sure how much of it I'm going to consume. But I'm going to peek in initially just to see how cray cray it actually is. Let us know what you think. We'll be back in a minute. Get more at 971talk.com.